Hello, everybody. Welcome to uh, 2023. Uh, first and foremost, Happy New Year to everyone. But welcome back to Python Community News, the show that is all about the community side of Python. I am one of your hosts, Jay Miller, and with me as always, I'm John Bonifato. John, how's your New Year been so far? It's been good. It's been a uh, you know things are getting off to a quick start, um, and I am very excited for everything to come this year. How about yours? You know, it's it's been a good start to the year. Uh, we've been we've been talking about a bunch of stuff, including kind of like what we're going to be talking about later today, which is kind of a recap and a what we're excited about. But honestly, like the beginning of the year has been really, really uh, encouraging in the Python space. And uh, I'm ready to jump into it, but uh, I wanted to remind everybody that we do this show on behalf of the Python community. Uh, we actually had someone ask us earlier, like, hey, is this like a official PSF thing? And we're like, no, it's not. This isn't, this is two people who love the community. Um, as Brett Cannon once said, I, I came for the code, the language, I stayed for the community. I think we are two individuals that are very much in that realm. Uh, but if you want to catch all of the things that we're doing, including some of the updates that are going to be coming out, uh, go to pythoncommunitynews.com for that. And if you have a news topic that you think we should definitely talk about in one of our live streams or that we should just do a video on, uh, we also have a GitHub repo that allows you to submit a topic um, for you know, we'll review it and, and if it makes sense for the community or if it's an, an event that's coming up, uh, we'll, we'll talk about it. But for this week and this month, uh, we wanted to mostly just talk about how last year went. And I mean, John, it 2022 was, I don't want to say it was a return to form, but, uh, if if you had to give it a grade, like Python community grade, what what would you what would you give it? Uh, for the Python community, uh, much better than I would give the, you know, the state of the year as a whole. Uh, Python community is doing well, I think. Um, it's, you know, we're seeing uh, a, a lot of people uh, being really invested in in the language um, and all of the events and and uh, other uh, spaces that surround it um so i'm i'm very very optimistic about uh about the python community right as it is today and and going forward yeah when i when i think about the kind of the overall landscape in like 2022 uh we saw some disruption some stuff that we might talk about i mean obviously the end of the year just got buck wild all of a sudden you got you know companies being acquired and people moving from one space to other spaces and and figuring out everything they're going to do and um you know it's but the python community kind of held strong and and i i think that that's it's interesting in that as python continues to become a bigger and bigger uh share of the development ecosystem it seems to still have some level of stability and and i know that that that's a challenge in fact you know when we talk that's often one of the things that comes up is like well you know as python continues to grow i don't see how they're going to be able to you know you know whatever whatever and then from there you know you're you're very reassuring and like 
eh, we've we've seemed to have been doing it for almost you know for 20 plus years now i'm sure it'll be fine <laughs> so yeah I, I think all in all it's it's been a good a good year amidst a lot of uh maybe not so great things happening but we wanted to talk about a, a few of those topics and let's start with you know one of the biggest highlights for me which was python got fast like python got got good fast and you know we we talked about this back in october i was i had the privilege of being able to interview uh guido and some of the folks at microsoft's faster c python team to kind of outline their plan in making python uh quote 10 to 60 percent faster and i know that that's a a large area but you know some areas you'll see a, a small improvement some areas you'll see massive improvement uh john have you gotten to play around with python 3.11 yet uh i have upgraded a couple of projects um and as is sort of my my standard workflow right once once the new versions come out um i tend to drop uh you know open pull requests on on a bunch of different projects and say right hopefully everything's passing uh, and and by and large um it, it it did for me which is great and uh uh yeah I, ha I haven't gotten to like really dive into um specific performance numbers on that front but uh definitely have those the uh those changes in the works yeah i mean and we saw you know even pypi mentioned like hey when we flipped our servers over to 3.11 and began to see a, an immediate and noticeable difference in performance. And uh, I think those are the best kinds of, of improvements. You know, we, you know, we're both, we're both developers. And like one of the things that, you know, I've been working on a project and uh, you've been even helping me with it. And, and I mentioned before making decisions based on performance, like, Hey, I would love to do this, but the last time I did it, it was really slow. And like now, I'm able to do those things again and be like, oh, they don't they don't feel slow anymore. It feels like this is just the right way to to do this. And you're not having to second guess uh, as much about the performance side of it. And, you know, kind of a, a little a little bit of a curveball here. We we saw kind of the continued growth of another programming language in Rust. Uh, and even amidst that, like the Python community looked at that and said, cool, let's use that too. Uh, you started seeing things like, um, was it, it rough? The uh, Rust built Python linter uh, polars, which is kind of a pandas variant uh, that's built completely in Rust, a, a Rust built data framing tool. Um, I I yeah, think- Photography library has yeah. largely Rust at this point. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting that you know the the community has kind of seen what's going on around it and kind of said oh that's nice let's let's integrate that yeah and and this is the thing that comes up right we we talk a lot about this where people talk about oh we're going to move everything to to this other language and that doesn't tend to be uh what i see actually happen in the in in, in the python world right it's more about let's use these technologies where they make sense right you mm -hmm. uh you implement things in in rust where 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 appropriate um and then you build build on top of that with python 
Yeah. And we've seen that historically, I mean, with Python having kind of an interpreter that that runs underneath it and the most popular of those being C and, you know, a lot of modules. Uh, when we talk about that time to to transition and that time to be supported in newer versions, often it is those that have underpinnings and other languages that require the most amount of work. Uh, but I, I think that it's it's interesting to see that everybody noticed uh, some very nice growth because of some of the decisions that the core development team has been working on to to just make Python as fast as possible. Interesting, we have a, a comment in the chat from David. Hi, David. Uh, Cryptography's choice caused a bit of an uproar since it broke a bunch of people's containerized apps. Um, but in the long term, it looks like a good choice. That's so that was kind of the interesting conversation. Um, I know that a lot of people uh, saw the interview between uh, Guido and, and Lex Fried. And from there, one of the questions that was asked was like, how fast does it need to be to stave off Python 4? Uh, and, and his answer was basically, it doesn't matter how fast or slow it is. <laughs> we're, we're doing everything in our power to prevent another transitional moment like that. And I, I think that it's interesting that people will say like, let's bring Rust in, let's bring C in, like let's do everything that we can um, except another major version, which is fine. Uh, 3.14 3.14 can't come soon enough. Um, but before we get to that, we do have 3.12 uh, to talk about as kind of the up and coming this year. Uh, more of the same, John? Is that is that what we're expecting? Uh, I I don't know if it's more of the same, but uh, but definitely in in the you know, same end result and, and direction. Um, there was a, uh, I don't know if publish is the right word, but um, a a roadmap uh, that happened to exist on GitHub um, uh, about the the future of 3.12 and speed improvements uh, in 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 that release. And so there's a there's a bunch of exciting stuff there. Uh, I think for end users, the the big thing is there are people and companies investing in performance, mm -hmm. uh, computational right, performance on uh, on the Python front um, to a higher level than than in some previous years. And um, right for for a lot of end users, I think that that means there's less of that discussion of um, right. Or, or at least less of the, the straw man argument of like Python slow, yeah, um, right. Because Python uh, has optimized for different things over the years, right. Yeah. And and one of the one of the biggest things for me is like it's always been Python is uh, is uh, optimizes more for developer time than it does for CPU time, yeah. Um, and and right if it keeps those ergonomics while still gaining those uh performance increases uh, i'm i'm all for that yeah my my analogy is always i look at i look at you know languages that 
claim speed for speed's sake as as a you know bugatti or a lamborghini and um sure it's fast but in most cases you don't need that much speed and it's not noticeable uh for most people a honda civic will do uh and, and python is in many cases that honda civic it's much more approachable it's easier to find the parts and pieces that you need and at the end of the day it's going to uh put you in the right direction um speaking of right direction let's talk about the second one uh that we had the second topic that was kind of a highlight and and john i'll let you kick it off and that was the return to events and, and while we're doing this uh it folks in the chat if you had a highlight uh for you uh for python in 2022 or something that you're looking forward to in 2023 let us know uh in the comments but yeah john the return the return to in to events uh both in person hybrid virtual and everything in between yeah so as i'm sure everybody knows um in person events took a break for a while and uh and we had a lot of uh, a lot of events that went toward uh you know, a virtual only offering. Um, but this past year we've seen a handful of, of events or, you know, I guess the, the slow trajectory of, uh, bringing, bringing back more in-person events. And so, um, uh, PyCon us had an in-person event. DjangoCon us had an in-person event. Um, there were, uh, a handful of regional conferences that, that also had, uh, in-person offerings, um, uh, both PyCon US and GenCoCon US uh, were were hybrid models, yeah. um, and I and I think that's a a really interesting thing to note here is um, the pattern I'm seeing so far isn't uh, just going straight back to the in-person events we used to do. Um, yeah. Right. Most of the most of the changes I'm seeing are We've been doing an online event, and now we're going to do a hybrid event, uh, which, as it turns out, is essentially running two events at once. Yeah, that was that was one of the things that uh, I think came up in the the last conference chats that that you put on uh, every month, which the next one will be next week. So if you're a conference organizer, uh, check that out. Conferencechats.org uh, was that nowadays if you want to do an event um before 2020 it was find a venue find a location you know all of the things for in-person events there were a handful of virtual events they were very few and far between uh companies were flying doing world tours before they would do a virtual event um and then it looks like coming out of it it is very much we got to do the hybrid thing, right? Like that's, that's, that's the feeling of like, oh, we can do the event. The event can be as small or as large as we want, but we have to have that, that hybrid model. And I noticed that, you know, this, my job is to go to these events and uh, go to these events. I did, I, I think I, I think I wound up doing, uh, I think it was eight events this year uh, when I, when I look back and I think six of those were in person and most of them were in just one month, which was a nightmare and I never want to do again. But the, the feeling of all of those in-person events were 
if you can't attend or if you choose not to attend, here is this virtual option. And to be critical, it, it didn't feel like being a part of the event. Uh, it, it was riddled with, you know, sometimes tech issues, uh, infrastructure issues in general. Um, the, the hallway track, which is just one of those things that I'm a, I'm a big fan of, uh, open spaces and things like that. Uh, there weren't really virtual components to that for most of these events. And what I hope you know, not before we jump into the official hopes and dreams of 2023. Uh, what I hope to see is us not revert back. I, I, I hope that we do establish a quote unquote new normal. We do say like, okay, hybrid, if that's going to be the thing that we choose to do, let's figure out what those standards are and let's figure out the right way to do those things. And uh, sadly, as, as much as I was excited to be back in person, I feel like the virtual events still weren't, I don't want to say meeting expectations, but they weren't, they didn't feel the same. They, they felt kind of like a, a second thought, a secondhand thought uh, to the event for most of the events. There were a few events um, that I did go to that, that actually did do a really good job on the virtual side of it that, um, I mean, I was like, oh, this is great. But I think most of the ones that were both in-person and virtual, the virtual part of it was, it felt it felt kind of disjointed from the event itself. I, th I think part of that is right. implicit in your sentence there, though, right? You're saying the virtual event felt disjointed from the real event. That's not how we can approach this. Yeah. Right? It's... Uh, because when 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 our approaches, uh, you know, you you tack on a virtual event to another event that you put your time and energy into, yeah, that's going to be a lot less uh, a lot less fleshed out, a lot less fully featured. Um, but I do think there were uh, several events that that had uh, pretty vibrant online communities. Um, you know, you you spoke in person at at, at DjangoCon US. Um, the the online chat and and interaction there was was pretty great. Um, and in in terms of uh, in terms of bridging that gap, I think that's one area where nobody has a great answer yet. Um, yeah. But I felt less disconnected as an online attendee from the, the, the in-person attendees um, in like during participating in that event than, than I have in others. And so I think this is a thing that's going to, um, you know, different events will, will try new approaches and, and we'll figure out how to, you know, what works and what doesn't and, and cherry pick the good things over time. Right. It's, it's a, when, when your planning cycle for a lot of these things uh is is right a full year um it takes it takes a while for that that feedback to really um filter back into right how you uh how you approach you know following events right and i i know 
I I learned some things about uh, how I want to incorporate some online content to events I'm running um, this past year, and it'll happen. Um, yeah. I also don't, uh, you know, we were talking about this before uh, before the show. Um, I, I think we'll also see some amount of, uh, and I've and I've heard this from some organizers already, of uh, well, you know, we're not we're not equipped to do an online event, right? We want to do an in-person event, and we want to serve our local community, and that's that's the direction we're going this year. Um, and I think that makes sense for a lot of uh, a lot of folks, especially, um, like I said, when you're talking about going from doing one event to, you know, closer to two full events than it is to, uh, to one, um, hybrid's tough. Um, hybrid is going to be difficult even once we know all the things we need to know. Yeah. Um, but in order to, to really do both sides of that correctly, you effectively need two teams. Yeah, and and you know you kind of mentioned it. It feels more like doing two events than one. I feel like it should be doing like two and a half events. Uh, you're you're doing the in person event, you're doing the virtual event, and you're doing the interconnection of those two things. And you mentioned DjangoCon, and, and shout out to the organization team. For, you know, at Defna, they they did a phenomenal job, and I'm sure that a lot of other conferences did as well. If you know of any, let us know, because um, we would love we would love to chat with them and and like understand what it took to make these events uh, as successful as they were. Um, but I know for for Defna, one of the things that DjangoCon US did was they thought about the experience from each each side. It wasn't just, oh, you're not in person. Well, here, you can watch all the talks. It was like, well, what do you do in between the talks? What do you do when most of the people that are in the venue are out in the courtyard eating lunch? Um, they had lightning talks and uh, talks that were online only that filled a lot of that space that made it feel like if I was watching the event online, I was getting a similar yet still somewhat different but specialized event for the way that I was consuming it. And I really appreciated that. And and to go back to the, like, does every conference now need to have hybrid? Um, that's actually one of the things that I'm looking forward to uh, this year is seeing the return of online-only events, um, one of those being Python web conference that's happening soon. Some of those that are in-person only events, uh, you know, looking at Pi Texas, which is happening, I think in March and, you know, maybe even the return of some conferences that just didn't have the logistics to do an online event. Cause I think some, some conferences are harder online, especially some of the very small regional conferences. You know, we look at uh, Pi Tennessee, who couldn't do anything. Pi Carolinas, who actually was, you know, having some issues even before the pandemic on, on getting an event organized. And, you know, this year we're hearing about the return of like um, PyCon or PyCon Africa. Um, some think that even there's, I think there's going to be a DjangoCon Africa. Don't quote me on that. But having presented virtually for events in like Nigeria, it's hard. 
like you're trying to present and then like all of a sudden the zoom call cuts out and you've got to like you know figure everything out and and it's just easier when infrastructure is in question sometimes just getting everybody in person and doing these hyper local regional events um is just the right way to go and and sometimes it's even cheaper to do so i i think that the ability to do this and to do this with some level of safety which is the kind of the next question that i wanted to ask you was how do you think we addressed um the safety uh aspect of conferences in 2022 versus what to expect in 2023 uh i mean i think that some events being in person is is just going to, and only in person um versus some events being virtual and only virtual is going to be the right decision and hybrid I, I think while it should be something you put into consideration, I don't think it's always the right answer. Yeah, I think it really, it depends on the event um, and it will really come down to what audiences uh, a, a, a given event is trying to serve best. Mm-hmm. And like you said, when it's, when it's a local regional event, uh, Sure, doing an online version uh, allows people to attend from all over, but that doesn't necessarily uh, mean it's it's serving the local community in the same way as it did before. Um, so there, there's there's a lot uh, that will be um, there. W- there's a lot that'll be worth considering as an event organizer. Um, right. And uh, when when it comes to right, gathering safely, um, you know, I, I, I think there are a bunch of events that uh, just decided they weren't going to take any uh, any precautions. There are some that uh, that that, uh, you know, were a lot closer to. Uh, something that would make uh, me feel comfortable attending an in-person event. Um, but this is nothing that I think is just going to go away overnight as right three years on uh, it hasn't. So, uh, you know, that that's, again, that'll, that'll continue evolving over time. And uh, yeah, there's, uh, I, I don't, I don't think there's much in the way of predicting uh, that on my end anyway. Yeah. We, we did see some, some level of like outreach and, and support desired. Uh, we saw the pH pledge, you know, come out, which was, you know, a group of developers that said, you know, before we, we want to commit to attending an event, we want to make sure that certain safety guidelines are in place, which, um, I'd love to see, you know, some more work done in that area. Uh, as again, as someone who went to a lot of events uh, as a part of my occupation this past year, I will say the the in person aspect was extremely mixed. I, I think that a lot of that had to deal with, you know, local laws and and what you could and couldn't do. I mean, if you're if you're in a venue that can't uh, enforce, you know, certain policies, you you know, it's questionable 
what your terms of enforcement even are. Uh, I remember PyCon US, like an email had to go out like a few days before that just said, hey, there's a gymnastics competition happening in like the second half of the convention center and they're not wearing masks and there's nothing we can do about it. And, you know, if you want a refund, we can give you a refund. Um, so I, I think that now I do hope to see that, that not necessarily just safety precautions, but kind of safe congregation, I guess, uh, is thought about. Like, how can we do things in the safest way possible? Uh, no mosh pits. I remember there was like a, a conference, maybe it was in 2019, where like there was like a swag surfing session, like this it's like hip hop thing where you have a bunch of people crammed really close together and they're like, so like maybe we don't do that anymore. Maybe we space the chairs out a little bit more. And, you know, if we can get away with asking people to have proof of vaccination and masks, then maybe we do that as well. And, and again, I think having those other opportunities, having more events, you know, maybe you're not comfortable going to a 3000 attendee event, but you know, a, a couple hundred people, uh, where most of the event like connection is done in a outside, you know, well, well, uh, I guess ventilated space or whatever is, is maybe going to be more of an idea this year. So John, we've, we've kind of talked about two of the big things that I, I think were overall positive and, now now it's time for the uh it depends on how you look at it <laughs> um and that that was the the rise of alternate communities social medias and and ultimately this boom of content creation uh python fastest growing language on the planet um, it is massive. It's reach is massive. And the number of people wanting to use it in their day to day, um, is larger than ever before. With that brings all the Udemy courses, all of the YouTube courses, all of the content, the newsletters, the blogs, the, the Twitter influences, the live streamers. Hey, we did it. We started a show in 2022. Um, I think that there is a good and a bad that is going to come out of this. Uh, but we also saw the move of the Python community kind of a little bit further away from IRC uh, into this this really small company known as Discord. Uh, have you spent any time in the Python Discord? Uh, the Python Discord is a, is a pretty busy and active one. Um, so... I have definitely logged in there, and I think I've I've said hello, um, but uh, high volume I think is probably how I would describe it. Yeah, just just a little bit, you know. Those I don't even know. I I, I have it over here, and I'll, I'll maybe while you're talking, I'll, I'll go and see how many people are currently engaging in there. But uh, what do you, what do you think about this rise of content creation around the Python space? Say more about that. Like, do we need the 
all of the podcasts that are popping up all of and, and I actually honestly I, I would say we need more podcasts uh, if you are looking for a podcast and you're watching this you know on YouTube you can actually digest this as a podcast just look up Python community news um, but I've I've found at least like four or five new YouTube channels that are giving people you know top 20 pieces of advice for leveling up your career with Python and you know, how to make a six figure salary, you know, selling APIs to, to be, and, and again, it's none of this is like a hit on those individual creators. What I'm more concerned with is as the community grows and as the desire to learn increases, uh, one content I guess authenticity, like why are people creating the content that they're creating? They're creating and are they doing it in a way where even before 2022, we saw people's conference talks basically being ripped off and given as as videos. Um, but then also the efficacy of so many people uh, just shouting, this is how you do a thing. You know, one of the things that happens when you and I get together, you know, we actually work on code is like, I'm like, oh, I recently learned about this thing. And it's like, okay, well now we need to have like a full deep discussion about when, when is like the correct time to use this thing versus like, ooh, new and shiny I want to use. So like, is, does Python, does Python have a content uh, problem at the moment? Uh, I doubt it. Um, I, I think that would be a pretty strong statement to make. Um, that said, uh, I, I do get like YouTube recommendations for, uh, for a bunch of content that's, that's not for me, right. That's not, not aimed at me even. Um, and, and so, uh, right on, on a, on a personal level, like uh you know why why is youtube throwing this stuff to me i'm i'm here to watch things that are completely unrelated um but at the same time right provided it is good um good content and right, accurate content it's definitely useful to uh to have all of that be as accessible as possible yeah um and there's a uh there there are a lot of people that that care about making um making this kind of knowledge freely accessible um and and widely distributed and i think that's great um i would certainly welcome more podcasts and the like um and and i think a big part of that is is the the like really narrowing down of uh of right specific uh specific topics specific uh voices and styles right there there are um podcasts i'll listen to that talk about uh topics i never knew i cared about but the uh, but but the way the hosts interact resonate with me. So um, so so I think that's great because, uh, right? It, I, I think there are definitely more 
people out there looking for something that fits their style um, that than there are shows today. Um, yeah. Same for, you know, YouTube videos and, and things like that. So uh, I, I don't know that we've reached any kind of, um, you know, oversaturation with that content any more than any other field has. Right. Um, and I say that because, you know, how much video content gets uploaded to YouTube per minute. Oh yeah. Um, right. There's, uh, so, so I, I, I don't think that, uh, Python in particular is, is, is oversaturated. Um, but, uh, there, there is certainly a lot of, uh, of, of content, content going up on, uh, sites like YouTube, um, you know, there there have been memes about you know people starting podcasts uh, during the pandemic for for a long time. So, um, you know, it's it's definitely a balance there. But I don't think that uh, Python is specifically uh, overloaded yet. Yeah. Uh, just for the record, uh, the Python Discord currently has 51,281 people online um, out of a total 366,917 people uh, who have uh, signed up to be a member. Uh, if that gives you any idea of just how busy uh, that channel is. I, a little bit bigger than PyCon US. Yeah, yeah. I... I agree in in most cases i i do think that with most things there are going to always be the i know how to create content that people will like therefore i'm going to make that content um i think there will always be things like that i'm i'm not gonna sit here and say that i don't consume some of that content uh i love countdown you know hey here are 10 things that this person did, you know, I, I, I like that stuff. I think sometimes I'm, I'm there more for the personality than I am for the content itself. Uh, but I, I do think that there is something to be said about a new wave of content creators and where they are moving to, uh, I, I can't remember who it was, but there was someone on Twitter that that asked the question like, before the internet was a, a popular thing, how did people learn and and build community? And uh, one, the answer was learning mostly was from book budgets at companies because that was the way to learn, uh, and community was, you know, technically still the internet. It was just kind of the internet before what we know today of uh, a lot of BBSs, a lot of, you know, IRC and things like that. Um, and even today, some people would prefer that uh, newsletter culture is still a thing. I think earlier you and I just, we, we were like looking at all of the different Python newsletters that we were subscribed to. Um, I don't think that those things are going away, but it is interesting that as things like TikTok have arisen, um, even YouTube shorts, I, I create YouTube shorts a lot and I like creating YouTube shorts. I, I think it's a great way to, uh, 
skip all the boilerplate, skip the whys and hows. And if it relates to you, here's, you know, a bit of information in less than a minute. Awesome. Like that, that sometimes that's just what I want to hear. But, you know, we've seen, we've seen some note, some channels pop up and, and people who were in the Python community, uh, that maybe you only got to interact with once or twice at that local conference now start to do their own YouTube channel. You know, I'm, I'm happy to see, you know, people like Marlene Megami, uh, who, who used to be a part of the PSF is now doing a YouTube channel and, and kind of talking about some of the day-to-day programming stuff that, that she does. And it's, it's great because I get to have those communities. We talked about your conference, you know, conferencechats.org and, you know, being able to have another place to connect with my friends on more than once or twice a year, I think is is wonderful. And I hope to see those continue to grow. Um, but I kind of I, I wanted to talk about the social disruptions as well. Is that going to be easy to do when right now everyone is moving in different directions and there doesn't seem to be one one pathway to take to get the majority of of information or news uh, amongst the community and and where to find people and and I'm talking kind of specifically towards like you know people you know an exodus of some folks on Twitter um, a move to Mastodon again some of these Discord channels you know I'm a part of like six different Python focused Discord channels uh, that all have different Venn diagrams of people in them so like. Is, is it ever going to get to a point where we're, we're too segmented? I mean, I think that that's a pendulum, right? I think we, we decentralize uh, because of reasons. Uh, and then that eventually swings back to um, by design or not, right? People congregate in one, one area and, and right, there are ebbs and flows of that. People will, uh, I, I think, though, people will ultimately find out about the the kind of content they care about through, you know, largely word of mouth. Yeah. Right. Uh, because right, you and I are going to right, talk about doing live streams and video content on Python Community News uh, on this YouTube channel and on the podcast. And it's not like we're paying for promoted tweets or anything like that. This isn't, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, the, the way this is, the, the word is getting out about our show is through telling our friends and, and, and sharing it on, you know, various different, uh, uh, different channels we're part of. And so I, uh, there, there was a, a book a while back that I read that was, um, uh, I think a Malcolm Gladwell book that talked about um, a bunch of different personality types. And one of them was, um, I don't know if this is the word he used, but something like connectors. So yeah. people who who explicitly went out and right, made those social connections and, and said, you know, you talk to you because you two are going to have, uh, you know, things in common. You're going to be able to help each other out. Um, I think that that is going to happen even with things that are decentralized, I think it'll be uh, maybe more difficult. Um, but but I don't think that uh, you know some subset of 
users leaving website means that now no one's going to find the content that they care about. Um, this is the type of content you, you get from us is Jay sensationalizing things and John bringing it back down to reality. Uh, no, I, I, well, I, agree, I agree with you. <laughs> so I, I, I think part of that is right comes from the, this, this stance of like, uh, Right. We're, we're a community show. It's a, it's a, it's about the people who work in communities and uh, people are resilient and resourceful and they'll find ways to connect the, with, with the other people that, uh, that share their interests. And so um, if that means somebody, right, building out a new, uh, new website for uh, people who are interested in, in Python to talk, I'm sure someone will do that. I'm sure someone's working on that now. Um, and, and right. There's, um, I think a, a lot of things like the, the Python discord, uh, server popped up, um, you know, years ago, uh, the Python subreddit has been active for a long time. Um, there are various Slack channels and, um, you know, I've been part of companies that have, um, right, even even in their like internal Slack uh, Slack chats, they'll have a channel for like things that are related to Python because it's a language they use, and and there there are um, you know there there's always uh, that 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 one person or that small group of people who who is uh, you know going out and explicitly sharing all of those things. So it's it's not so much that uh, I. Uh, I'm pushing back on right, sensationalization of anything. Um, and more so, uh, I, I think that it will take a lot more than a website imploding uh, to derail those people from, from doing what they are used to doing anyway. Yeah. Speaking of sensationalism, the the next topic, uh, I don't even know if I have a, a banner for this next topic, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put back up the what was your highlight of the year, and if if you have one, let us know. The rise and fall of AI tools. Uh, we saw Copilot do more. We saw Chat GPT and um, Stable Diffusion and a lot of these other tools, uh, and we started to see the first fruits of people building off of these tools. Uh, I do check the Python subreddit and I, I don't think a week goes by where there isn't someone that says, I have built this thing that uses some, some AI to, to do this thing. Uh, I think the biggest difference here is whereas before many of the tools were used to help other industries maybe to increase efficiency or productivity or to help with, uh, you know, some other issue or topic. Uh, it seems like we're pointing them inward now and, and we're trying to help developers with, with things like Copilot and, and stuff like that and um, Tab 9. But we're also starting to see some of the first uh, falls of 
a lot of these AI tools. Uh, we saw that ChatGPT was uh, quickly said, hey, no thank you uh, from Stack Overflow um, until we could figure out better ways to use it. We saw um, Kite, one of the earliest versions of a code auto-completion tool, uh, announced that they're going to be shutting down. Uh, and we've also seen, you know, some of the, I guess, quick and meteoric, meteoric popularity of tools out, uh, let's see, outpopulate the, the validation efforts of, of what's being created. Uh, so I, I, I kind of know your position on a, on a lot of these tools, but I, I mostly want to ask you in terms of predictions for 2023, what, what do you expect? Uh, I mean, obviously the, the lid is off the bottle. There will only be more of these, but, uh, I think in one of the previous episodes I mentioned, we're at a point where this is our Wikipedia and we can either demonize it as a thing, or we can learn to live in a world where it exists. Uh, do you think that we'll make that decision in 2023? Uh, I think this is a multi-year, maybe multi-decade thing. Um, Self-driving car level of. <laughs> yeah. I, so I, I don't think that we're going to go a week without hearing about, you know, some, some new big AI trend this year. Um, I, I think that there's going to be a ton going into this and. Uh, a, a lot of that will, you know, come down to how it's being used uh, and, um, and, and, and by whom. And I think that uh, some of the, or, or at least a, in, in my circles, a lot of the, um, the pushback against these tools has, has been around uh, things like attribution and licensing, and uh, and so we're already starting to see a bit of a shift there in terms of like what tools uh, are surfacing their um, their their uh, original sources. Um, so right, it's this is a thing that I, I think is important to a lot of folks is being able to properly. Uh, cite what you're using, um, yeah. and uh, and and it'll really come down to um, and 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 this is the tricky part is uh, this is one of those those cases that uh, is is going to be and I think is actively being. Uh, uh, viewed and 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 argued from a legal standpoint mm -hmm. um and so that always lags behind um the 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 actual usage so we'll we'll see what comes of that but i don't think that people are going to uh you know outright reject ai tooling like that uh, and, and and there are absolutely use cases for it, um, but I think I think we'll see 
a, a lot of discussion around things like attribution, um, a lot of discussion around things like uh, safety and verification, right? Because you see all these uh, examples of people sharing where it's, hey, add two and two, and and uh, you know the the response you get from from a bot will be something totally nonsensical, um, or you know, worse in a lot of cases, it, something that looks pretty correct until you actually read through it. Yeah, I think that's the dangerous part there is the, it is correct with all of the confidence. <laughs> and and I, I agree with you. I, I think that there there's definitely a lot to, there's a lot to explore in how can we best use this, uh, you know, we jokingly were like, oh, hey, we need to figure out, not even jokingly, actually, there was there was an instance where there was a topic that we'll probably cover in our next live stream, um, where they were talking about a security incident. And it was interesting, because I asked the community, like, hey, are there any security professionals that can speak to this? And the funny thing was, the comments I got back were just like, why don't you just plug it into chat GPT and ask them to explain it? And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like, is, is, is this what we're, we're doing? And I, I don't think that one, I don't think the technology is there yet. I don't, I don't necessarily, there are article summarizers. Those have been around for a long time, but I think that there's a difference between summarize this article for me and explain to me the, the, why this is something that I need to present to the community as news. And I hope that over time that fleshes out a bit more. Um, again, I, companies are, are jumping on it. Uh, for those that don't know, I I'm also do productivity-based, you know, podcasting and content creation from time to time. And there were like six different applications in December that were like, we've added an AI component that'll help you write your notes for you. And I'm just like, uh, can we, can we not? Um, so I'm, I am also a little hesitant to, to say that, you know, the original computers were people in a room doing a bunch of math problems, trying to figure it out. And then they got replaced with a giant machine that got replaced with a still pretty big and smaller machine that got replaced with, you know, a supercomputer in your pocket. Um, I don't think that that's the direction we're taking, but what I do think is this is the Excelification, which if you think about what Excel did for the accounting and finance industries and uh, any type of record keeping industry, I think that this is the start of that uh, for a lot of industries in that some of those tasks that you know a lot of people did because they there was the, that was the only way to do it. Um, now you can, they can either do more of it or they can use this as a tool to properly leverage it. And I think that what I hope to see in 2023 is the kind of the first examples of that being really put to use of like, hey, here is this industry that is being radically impacted, just like Python has done. You know, we saw how the introduction of learning how to program helped with like the scientific community in many aspects. And, you know, now to be a scientist at CERN requires 
a lot more knowledge of computer science than it than it did, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago. Uh, I think that this will become another tool in in the the toolbox of many, many different industry professionals, including developers. So John, we've got one more prediction and it's not really a prediction. It is, it is a, we are telling you what is going to happen. This is a, uh, a forecast <laughs> of anything. Um, what to expect from Python community news in 2023. Uh, and the first one is we aren't going to be streaming as much. Uh, what we've kind of learned is that the, the Python news has its own pace. It has its own flow. And what we would rather do is bring you content as it makes sense to do so. Uh, don't worry, we'll still be on a schedule. We're going to be streaming on the first Fridays of every month. Um, but also we're going to be working in that time, not on camera, uh, to still be on camera, but to, to kind of make more videos in short form. Uh, John, you got any, any kind of thoughts in that kind of helped in making that decision? Yeah. So, uh, I, I think if, if anybody's listened to, to our show regularly, though, they've found that there are some weeks where, uh, we, we don't get through the topics we want to, uh, others that are, uh, are, are lighter on, uh, on topics. And then there's some things that fit the, uh, you know, the, the kind of, um, kind of news we want to bring to the community um, that that fall outside of our normal live streaming anyway. Um, so uh, things like interviews with uh, with folks uh, who who are working on other events um, or, or, you know, uh, special happenings around the around the community. So um, this live stream, um, again, not going anywhere. It's going to be um, monthly now. So we we hope that people will still uh, uh, still tune in and join us for this. Um, but as you said, uh, we'll have that uh, ability to drop videos. Um, and if you go to the Python Community News uh, YouTube channel, uh, so youtube.com slash at Pi Community News, um, you'll, you'll find uh, a couple of examples of the, the sorts of videos where uh, we're going to be doing more of, and we'll be able to do those uh, sort of on an as-needed basis, and uh, come back to um, other topics that uh, that that are worth discussing in uh, in in this sort of real-time format um, on that on that monthly live stream. Yeah, I I think that it's interesting that the the community itself has kind of a its own little heartbeat. Um, we we kind of know of certain things that are happening. We're in the new year. I can tell you a handful of conferences that are happening at the beginning of the year. I can tell you what, uh, obviously, you know, PyCon US, uh, we're about a week away from, you know, hearing who's going to be speaking and presenting at PyCon US in terms of just the general talks. And, uh, you know, that's, that's exciting. And, you know, on, on top of that, we also know when the, you know, PSF elections are, we know when the, PSF surveys will come out. We know when uh, all, a lot of these things happen because they always happen around the same time. Uh, and 
we want to make sure that we're prepared for those things. Uh, if you look at the the PSF survey, that thing is massive. Uh, I, I had the fortune of, of being on uh, Michael Kennedy's PSF survey review from Talk uh, on Talk Python last year. And I mean, there were like six of us and you know, you had to have a data scientist in the room. You had to have advocates and and software engineers and managers and uh, soft, you know, IDE developers and yeah, like all these different people in the room speaking to the things that pertain to them. And for us to create the right kind of content, we have to give it space and prepare for it. And and we noticed that because some of our our best videos that we put out this past year were ones that covered topics that everyone knew about and people were excited about. Our Hacktoberfest video was was great. Um, and I, I think that that also gives us the ability to create content that focuses a little bit deeper on particular topics. Uh, another really great video for us was the one of who owns open source. Uh, this was something that I kind of threw onto John, like, right, like the day of, and you know, that's, that doesn't allow us to do our best work. Uh, I, I think a, a even better example of that was talking kind of about the DSF election results. And, you know, a week into the moment, you're thinking about all the things that you want to say. And then all of a sudden you, you know, you talk to some more people and you get a little bit more perspective and it may not necessarily change your opinion, but it might change how you present it. Uh, so what we've kind of determined is that in order to really be able to talk about some of these topics with the, as I mentioned before, authenticity, the accuracy that we would expect that you would hold us to, um, we just need more time. Uh, we and, and I think moving the stream to monthly allows us to separate the bigger topics from some of the smaller ones. We'll cover the smaller ones as YouTube shorts and, and smaller videos. And the ones that we really wanna digest and flesh out and maybe even ask for help from professionals that have the know-how, uh, this gives us more time to, to coordinate those things. Uh, that being said, uh, I, I also wanna, you know, for me personally, uh, I'm gonna be at a few more events. Again, that kind of comes with the job, so, uh, if you if you see me at an event, don't worry. I'll have some Python community news stickers, and and you can slap one on your laptop and use that to to share the news of of PCN. And uh, also, if you want to talk to me about things happening in the community, I would I would hope that this gives us the ability to do more of those things and and engage with people in the community. Uh, at a longer pace so that we're not constantly rushing uh, at the sign of the next piece of news that comes out. So yeah, as I mentioned before, it's gonna be moving to once a month, the first Friday of the month. So the next one will be of course in February. And that being said, be sure to check out the YouTube channel where we're going to have plenty of videos. Some of them will be excerpts from these longer streams. Um, other ones will be news uh, as fast as we can get it out and do it with a level of of accuracy and efficiency that we would you know hold any news uh team or agency or company or whatever to yeah so the sort of short version of that is we're not going anywhere but the schedule's changing yeah. and and you'll be able to find it all on uh, pythoncommunitynews.com has links to everything um all the places we are, uh, but uh, 
most of that content's going to end up on youtube.com slash at pi community news. Yep. And the, the next time we meet will actually be February the 3rd. Um, uh, again, first Friday in February. And I'm not sure what we're going to be talking about yet, but I have some ideas of things of, of some news items that might be coming out. And also we're already starting to hear some end of the year reports uh, from the PSF and, and PyPI and a few other uh, bigger name communities and, and organizations around the Python community. So uh, if you are looking for our thoughts and opinions on that, or if you're just wondering where to go, like John said, pythoncommunitynews.com or youtube.com slash pycommunitynews. Uh, we also have the podcast. Again, just search Python Community News. It will be these live streams. Uh, so the podcast frequency will be a little bit less, obviously. Um, but the newsletter as well that will kind of wrap up uh, some of the news and the, the hits from each month. But John, I think that's going to wrap it up for the first stream of 2023. Uh, we got anything else? That's all we got. All right. Well, until next time, I'm Jay. I'm John. And this has been the Python Community News.